0: So today we're going to delve, do you say delve or dive? I like dive, personally. I've never used delve in a sentence, into medicinal marijuana and discuss why my colleague, who is nicely dressed today and Thank is you. also an HIV specialist, why he has not been willing to share with us the cure for HIV with the rest of the world. Stick around.
1: You're listening to Recommended Daily Dose with Doctors Clinton Coleman and Surge Suggar. The not-so-average health show with a unique spin on what's making headlines in healthcare. So
0: well, today, for this topic, I, I want to try to stick to medicinal marijuana use. So I know. So we you, we don't want to talk about recreational uses, right? I know you're dying to tell our listeners about how you were back in college smoking with Barack with your afro, right?
1: Well, listen, my favorite movie, one of my favorite movies, is Friday. Uh, but I prefer not to have uh, uh, life imitate art. So let's stick with medicinal. Did uh, you have opinions. an afro though? Uh, I had long hair. Your your hair, that's an afro. No, it was not an afro, but I had long hair. I think it was the internship or residency that really killed it for me.
0: So I I think we've come a long way from this culture of uh, Bill Clinton not inhaling to Obama being, you know, looking like someone who smokes a lot. But I think that's a sign of the times how, um, you know, marijuana, recreational and medicinal
1: has, has changed as far as the landscape. It's being, you know, it's had a bad rap for a long period of time, and uh, specifically medical marijuana or cannabis. Who we know we should maybe call it by its proper name, cannabis. And uh, why don't you go over a little bit about exactly what in cannabis is medicinal, what is in cannabis actually makes us feel good?
0: So, um, just some background information to our listeners, who I'm, I'm sure know a lot about cannabis. Um, it's the most commonly used illegal psychoactive substance in the world, um, and. The, re- the psychoactive is the high part of it, and that's primarily due to THC. Right. Um, you're asking what THC is versus CBD. You've heard of CBD, right? So, CBD is is same extracted from hemp, which is the plant. Plant, right? Um, that has less of the psychoactive properties, and that's commonly you know procured in oils and gummies and supplements like
1: that. And that's really what we're talking about in terms of medicinal medicinal uses, right? Um, actually, both uh, the both?
0: THC, which is the um, the psychoactive part of it, uh, and the CBD, are, are both used for medicinal purposes. But we'll get into you know the risks and benefits for both of those. Um, you know, New Jersey is one of one of the thirty first, thirty one states that have um, marijuana for medicinal uses. Good point. Yeah, um, and it's interesting. You know, it's so taboo, but we know that states that are more liberal actually have. Less risk of substance, with uh, even recreational
1: uh, marijuana use,
0: and which I think is. So you're saying by
1: decriminalizing it, perhaps legitimizing it, uh, there's less chance of uh, abusing it.
0: Exactly. Right. Uh, and abuse overall, you know, marijuana is probably the least
1: abused uh,
0: medication.
1: So as doctors, we have to talk about. Right. I mean, what about the people who will say uh, this is a gateway drug to other more harder. Uh, more harmful uh, medications? What do we tell people? So,
0: so that's old-school thinking, right? We used to think that if you, if you had alcohol...
1: You know, your shoes th- are kind of old-school, actually.
0: Thank you. you, if, you had, if you had alcohol, then that led you to want to smoke marijuana, and that led to other narcotics, or opioids, heroin, cocaine. But that's not normally the... You know, we've done some research, and that it's not true. So um, the new model, that's the gateway model. The new model is called the the common liability model. So simply that's saying if, you know, based on your circumstances, your genetic factors, your your addiction potential, uh, your environment, um, you're more likely to use substances um, regardless. Regardless of, of what you would start off. Exactly. exactly. So, so whatever, it's just like alcohol. Like, right. We, we so whatever's around, it. you'll use.
1: Right. So we know that it's multifactorial. It's probably a good thing to mention that why is it two people can drink the same amount, one becomes an alcoholic, one doesn't. Right. right. There's right. probably familial genetic Environmental, uh, mental, and other uh, biological or physiological factors all play together. So we think the same thing is common. Uh, or the same thing is true uh, with uh, THC and uh, cannabis.
0: Right. Um, there's some recent studies. One, which one I think is fascinating, that it found the link in recreational marijuana use with increase in sales of you know munchy type foods. So certain now, high who, calorie who would have, foods. Who would
1: have imagined that you get uh, that that would happen? So more potato chips, late yeah. night pizzas. So yeah. So they
0: actually have some data. So um, in states where they recently legalized marijuana, there was a 3.1 uh, percent increase in ice cream, 4.1 mm. percent increase in cookies, and 5.3 percent increase in chips right after. So it's good for the economy, to say the least.
1: You know, I wonder if you just really need a study to prove this, or we could. Have asked, no, that's a study. That's is it a study? You yeah. probably could have gone to any college campus and uh, gotten the same information. Right,
0: or what you did when you were in college, right? No. Uh,
1: let's let's keep moving on. <laughs> All right, so since we are doctors, we're coming to you from Holy Name Medical Center here in Teaneck, New Jersey. Let's uh, switch the gears for a second and talk, you know, why are we talking about this today? I mean, we're not talking about recreation. We're really talking about the medicinal right. therapeutic uses. What are your thoughts?
0: Um, so for both the CBD and the THC, you know, the most common indication is probably chronic pain, right? So right. someone has headache um, and cancer is pretty common. Um, Cancer for pain. I think pain, Smokey and Friday, he was using it for his glaucoma. Uh,
1: that's not what he Not Smokey. Was that Smokey? it Smokey? I think it was Smokey's dad. I don't remember. And Smokey didn't have a dad. Smokey didn't have a dad. Then maybe it was Craig's dad? I don't remember. Could have been the preacher also. Right. So so
0: pain. I think it was Bernie Mac. Okay, right. keep going. Yeah. Um, if you have multiple sclerosis, it can be used for muscle spasms. It can treat nausea.
1: So nausea is a big one, right, with chemotherapy in cancer right. patients? Right.
0: Also, we commonly use the the medicated form, uh, Marinol, for appetite and appetite stimulant and for uh, unintentional weight loss. So as an ID
1: doctor, and, you know, I treat a lot of HIV, although thankfully most patients uh, no longer that I see, we're seeing less of of AIDS if you follow treatment, and we'll talk more about that later, but, you know, you have this uh, chronic wasting syndrome uh, from uh, uncontrolled infections and decreased appetite, so we use that as well to stimulate the appetite and try to regain some uh, lean muscle mass.
0: Right, so it has a role in certain diseases. Um, you know, the risks are important too. So most people think that marijuana is a benign drug, but there there are some risks involved. But on the spectrum of substances, right. it's probably you know really down there. So um, that's yeah. what
1: people commonly say that are proponents, right? It's natural, it comes from the earth, right? God placed it here for us. The hippies, whatever, whatever. Oh, hippies, Rastafarians, uh, anyone from in college and and, and beyond. But the idea is that, look, all these substances uh, overdone uh, will have side effects. But if you compare it to other legal uh, things like alcohol, for instance, the actual side effects and adverse effects are actually somewhat uh, significantly less.
0: Right. Um, So we know about the high. So, you know, impairing your neuropsychological functions, and that's dose dependent. So the more... That's that's
1: medical talk for getting high, I guess. right. Okay.
0: So, you know, a lack of attention, concentration, memory loss, uh, learning. Um, there's some evidence that chronic cannabis use can lead to uh, development of seizures, uh, schizophrenia.
1: So you mentioned seizures, but, you know, interestingly enough, when we were talking about the medicinal benefits, actually, I think in children, especially refractory seizures. That right. is seizures don't respond to normal medications. It's been used, uh, the CBD oil, with great benefit. in right. these children who have uh, suffered greatly with uncontrolled seizures and all the negative, what we call sequelae, related to that. But it can also cause seizures, apparently.
0: Um, chronic use. Chronic yeah, use, yeah. okay. Um, also depression, bipolar.
1: So a lot of psychiatric disorders. Right.
0: You may think this is interesting. It may lower your sperm count, right?
1: Why, why would I think that? I'm not sure. You're, okay.
0: you're, you're done, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, there's, there's also an increased risk for cardiovascular disease, whether it be heart attack or a stroke, albeit small. But um, there was a, an interesting report on a man 70-year-old guy who suffered a heart attack after he ate a lollipop, which was infused with 90 milligrams of THC. So just to give you some perspective.
1: Holy smokes, yeah. Yeah, a a
0: joint has about 7 milligrams of THC. So he smoked the equivalent of 12 joints in one sitting.
1: Which I know that... Probably should mention. I mean, first of all, this guy is 70 years old. So. So,
0: so, yeah, so my question is, why is a 70-year-old man eating a lollipop? Eating a lollipop. When's the last time you had a lollipop, for anything?
1: Uh, uh, I think for anything. Since it's been a very long time. Maybe when my ears popped on right. the last airplane flight.
0: And where do you get marijuana lollipops from? Unclear, unclear.
1: Right. But you know what you probably should mention, is there a difference between ingesting, so the edibles, versus the more common way people may utilize uh, marijuana, which is smoking or vaping? Right, you definitely get higher because you're absorbing well. One, the quantity, right? So, well, you first of all, you don't know how much you're taking, and actually, you know, a lot of people don't realize this. The effect is actually delayed. So, if someone were to inhale, let's say, for whatever reason, um, you have an effect very immediately. With these edibles, you have to be careful. You actually get absorbed by the body. Gets uh, so it takes time. So you might say, well, I had one whatever uh, browning edible, and you may take another and not realize you're actually overdosing. And that's important for people to know uh, because that can be uh, you know, very detrimental. It's actually the most common cause, you may have not know this, of cyclic uncontrolled vomiting in Colorado, one of the places where it's actually legal. So when you eat these, uh, the, the THC and the, and the cannabis, it goes to the liver, and then the, the form that goes after going through the liver is actually more hallucinatory, so it's actually much more potent. It causes vomiting, causes the heart rate to go very fast. So I think listeners out there need to be aware of that
0: you think they should, uh, once it becomes legalized, do you think they should label how much THC? Uh, 100%. Listen, yeah. I've
1: been, uh, you know, over there in uh, Holland and Amsterdam, and it's very clearly uh, labeled. It has to be, and that's part of the idea, right, of regulating this if it does become legal. And I think, actually, since we're in New Jersey and now we know it's legal for medicinal purposes, I think there's even talk, and actually a lot of uh, talk that's getting closer and closer to being utilized uh, for adults for recreational purposes. So something that you and I as physicians have to be aware about, have to be notify patients that may partake uh, You know, if they're adults in that choice, and have to be aware of the, some of the side effects that may occur. Like anything, right? Alcohol, there's, you can enjoy and you can abuse. So the same uh, uh, potential uh, exists here.
0: Great. So I'm um, moving on to HIV. So you're the, you're the specialist, so I need you to dispel some rumors some, some from my community. Oh, so okay. What rumors specifically that, are we looking that's at? That's code, my community. If you didn't get the code. I I did get the code. um, So did the government actually have the cure for AIDS all along and they were holding it?
1: Uh, You know, as far as I know, no, no. Uh, You know, we joke, but no. This is something as an HIV physician, ID physician, that we hold very dear, right? This was um, really something that came out in the 80s and right when the explosion of infectious disease as a specialty came to the limelight. So ever since that time, we've made an incredible amount of progress, um, but there has been no cure, despite what What about Magic used.
0: Johnson? They, they say he's been cured.
1: Magic Johnson is an example. That's what of my s- community says as well. No, so it's, look, he is someone who is compliant. That means he doesn't miss a dose, takes medications that are very effective. And as long as he does so, uh, you know, I tell my patients, then you should die of something that uh, we all die of, of an old age. It shouldn't be from HIV. But no, we have to understand that the moment they stop taking the medications – the virus will reappear in, in the blood, and they will have uh, bad outcomes. So these are not cures. You know, this is like diabetes. We don't cure diabetes. We control it. But so now
0: there's a real, a real cure.
1: Well, let's dive into it. Is it really so, a cure? So now
0: they reported the third patient who's HIV, HIV-free from a bone marrow
1: transplant. Right. So a little background. The first one, almost a decade ago, was what they called the Berlin uh, patient. Right. Then there was a child, and now the so-called London patient. But if we're looking at the London and Berlin patient, we got to take this with a grain of salt, right? So these are patients who are suffering from what? They were suffering from leukemia. leukemia. And they end up having a bone marrow transplant. So let's uh, talk a little bit about this because we certainly both see patients who are, we call status post bone marrow transplants. This is not a benign issue. Bone marrow transplant is intense, right? You have to wipe out the immune system. And one of a couple of things either happens. Either the cancer comes roaring back, the bone marrow transplant fails, or we can have this thing called host versus graft disease, where the body attacks this new bone marrow. Uh, now, these cures are actually interesting because these bone marrows that they acquired so as a transplant had a very rare genetic uh, mutation. Are you aware of this? No. You know, HIV is actually a risky, uh, we call it, it's a very, well, it's very uh, 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 adept um, and difficult to develop a vaccine. It's very almost elegant in its design. And it actually attacks and hijacks, if you will, our own immune system. So it has to attach to our immune system cells, the T cells. Promiscuous? Can we say that? Uh, well, you could say that, but it, you know, it is elegant. I mean, if you look under a microscope, if you look how it's developed, how it eludes our medications, how it eludes our ability to develop a vaccine, it's actually a, a marvel of evolution. But what it needs to do, it has to attach to these T cells, right? So if someone gets a bone marrow transplant and they happen to get a genetic Mutation that prevents the HIV from attacking these T cells. Well, guess what? They're essentially cured. So, yes, in theory, you've had this Berlin patient and now the so called London patient that are cured of HIV because they waited off medications for, I think, over a year, almost a year and a half. Still no signs of HIV to be found.
0: And off of medications.
1: Off medications, yeah. But when people say, is this a cure, doc? You know, is this what I need? Should I just go out and get a bone marrow transplant next week? That's.
0: That's different. This is just we were able to eradicate HIV in a host.
1: Right, but that's not practical, right? Bone marrow transplant, especially the Berlin patient almost died of all the side effects, all the possible infections that are associated with it, all the toxic medications. So nowadays, do you even need a cure if it's so well controlled? No, listen, I mean, when we talk about HIV, it's great. We made a lot of progress. These medications have side effects. Now, we have one pill that will treat once a day. It's very easy to take, but they all have side effects. And we are concerned about side effects like high cholesterol, uh, cardiovascular disease. So you actually get um, increased risks of strokes, heart attacks, etc. So again, this is a lifelong commitment. Um, we are still actively looking for a cure. Um, while we have better medications, we have medications that require fewer pills. Sometimes we call STR, single tablet regimens. We need and continue to uh, need funding to look for a cure. Cure meaning vaccinations or other methodologies uh, to finally rid our our bodies of HIV. But, hey, what in the meantime do we do? Well, we need to increase access to these medications. We know it's great if you can afford it. Guess what? If you're in sub-Saharan Africa, where the major cases are, and we can't afford these medications, it really doesn't do anyone any good. Uh, We need to utilize, have you heard of PrEP or PEP? Yes. What does that mean?
0: It's take prophylaxis so you don't get... uh HIV. Yeah,
1: so believe it or not, we offer medications, let's say one, someone in a couple, someone's positive, those someone's Those are antiretrovirals negative. too. They are, but it's still underutilized. We know now that um, uh, prevention is, is even more important than cure. So if someone has it and someone doesn't, and they're a monogamous couple, we offer this pre-exposure prophylaxis to keep the person who's negative, have them stay negative. Uh, if someone, let's say, in the healthcare field like myself, and I don't know if you knew this, but when I was a resident in Newark, I got stuck uh, with a needle in an HIV patient. I took PEP, post-exposure prophylaxis, for a month I had to take medications uh, to make sure uh, that I didn't uh, acquire this from this patient that I was taking care of. So, you know, that's actually very personal for me. So these things are very important. Um, We have to make sure we continue to uh, diagnose and uh, screen for this because despite all our measures, how many many patients do you think uh, develop HIV in the United States alone every year? It's pretty low. No, it's actually forty thousand new cases. That's that incidence. That's pretty high. Yeah, exactly. So even though people are living longer, um, people may you know uh, have become a little laxidasal and they may uh, have put down their guard in terms of safe sexual practices and other things. Uh, but we're still seeing about forty thousand cases every year of HIV, and that's new probably cases. new cases. And there's probably a lot more. There's many people out there who don't know they have it. So we have to, as physicians and as listeners out there, be aware of this. Uh, there's no reason not to get tested. There's reasons uh, if you think you're at risk, then you should uh, ask your physician about prep, the pre-exposure prophylaxis, even the post-exposure prophylaxis uh, uh, can be utilized in healthcare workers and other people who may be exposed. And you know, until we find a cure, uh, we have to keep trucking along. We made a lot of progress, but so we still have a long ways to go.
0: I think it's one of those diseases where we're you know we're dying for a cure. Right. Well,
1: dying for a cure now, you know, thankfully people aren't necessarily but Even dying. though you don't
0: need a cure, right? People aren't dying. I mean, it's it has its comorbidities, but...
1: Well, like everything in, you know, we talk about this in the show about uh, disparities in healthcare. I mean, what's great and going on in the United States is not necessarily happening in other right. resource-poor areas. And, you know, there's social barriers, there's economic barriers to getting these medications. Um, so we really, you know, looking for a vaccine, looking for cures, and also improving our ability to uh, screen educate and prevent transmission in the first place have to be in the forefront we can't lose the steam the uh, momentum we've developed over the last many years listen i started uh, my fellowship in infectious disease in 2005 but you know as a resident in the early 2000s, i'm sure you as well you saw plenty of these patients dying without any real hope we had a whole floor for for hiv same with us you know and this was oftentimes a uh, a place of uh of, of last you know really no hope so a lot has changed a lot needs to be done but we need to end this on a high note what do you think so hope is you, the key word you got my pun i hope
0: ah got it good a little slow here so thanks for listening um please subscribe to hear more episodes at holyname.org slash recommended daily dose you can see you can find us on itunes and spotify and don't forget to subscribe and rate us we'll see you
1: next time see you next time until then i'm your host dr surd slugger and dr clinton coleman Check out recent episodes and learn more about these two modern medicine men and their podcast at holyname.org slash dose